Sports fans, fight fans, welcome back to the Deadlock Podcast, episode two. And does that music not just get your blood pumping? Ooh. Boy, that takes me takes me back to you know Lincoln Park, breaking Benjamin, makes me feel all good, ready to talk some fights, people punching each other in the face. How's everybody doing? My name's Clint, my buddy man Preet, and I'm still pointing the wrong damn way with this new <laughs> setup. <laughs> we are the Deadlock Podcast. How you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. I love seeing you. For anybody that's ever been backyard and streamyard, you can still kind of see like the other people that are on the stream in their little thumbnails at the bottom. Uh, and I can just see Clint rocking out as the intro is going. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> let's bring that energy. Let's bring that energy. I absolutely Guilty. love it. And I don't think we could have picked a better intro track either to really get us hyped up. And I'm sure the, the fans and the viewers are feeling the same way as well. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because Locke was the one that found the music for us for the intro. And we went through like three or four different songs that we thought might have worked for us. And uh, as soon as I heard that one, I was like, oh, like it hit the sweet spot. And I was like, secretly, I hope Locke picks one of the others so I can steal it for myself. But it was <laughs> no, it was too perfect. It was too perfect for us, for us together for this show. I love it. I, I absolutely feel like we nailed it the intro music so I'm, I, I'm I feel like pumped. it has a little bit of you and it has a little bit of me so it's just the, the perfect <laughs> combination of intro here uh to, to get us kicked off and get our podcast going completely agree man but hey enough uh again patting ourselves on the back to start the show what's new man anything going on it's been two weeks this is an every other week type of show so we got a little bit of uh downtime between episodes what's been going on with you Dude, I I'm sure you saw a couple of my posts over the last couple of days. Uh, we got hit with a truck of snow here uh, up in Toronto. I think the, the worst snowfall that we've had in the Toronto area in over 23 years. Uh, I, was, I was looking at uh, the Toronto Star. They put out an article today talking about how uh, in, in 1999, there was so much snow. They actually had to call in the army to help us clear the snow. There was so much of it up here. And uh, they're, they're listing like the top five snowfalls in the history of Toronto. And one thing that surprised me the most, and it kind of makes sense now, is there's actually people that have died from shoveling their driveway just because of a heart attack or something like that. Like, it's insane. They're going through some of the numbers. One season, it was like 10 people died because of the snowfall because of just trying to shovel the snow and they had a heart attack. I was like, God, damn, this is serious. Luckily, you know, nobody has suffered this year. Uh, you know, technology has really risen since the 60s. So we have our snow blowers and we have all that stuff going for us here. But Man, we we were packed in. The the wife was working from home on, or not even working from home. She didn't even get to go to work on Monday because uh, she was kicking out home. She had a snow day as an adult. Uh, I remember back in the day as an elementary school student or even a high school student, I begged for these days. I know you guys down there in Arizona don't really have to deal with that or snow days, but every morning when it was winter, we would just pray and hope that it would be a snow day. Even if the snow wasn't in the forecast, we're just hoping for that. But yeah, that's pretty much what I've been dealing with, trying to get ahead of the schedule with the UFC uh, and shoveling. That's pretty much it, Clint. What about you? Good deal. Good deal. Man, when I was growing up, we prayed for snow days. They were this mythical thing that you'd get a snow day about once every five years or something. You'd hear legends of kids, upper upperclassmen, you know, one or two years talking to the talking to you about the time they got a snow day. Yeah, it just doesn't exist in Arizona. That's not a thing. Um, last couple weeks, trying to get my ass in shape, running on the treadmill a little bit more these days. So not quite shoveling snow, but trying to you know, work on some things and then just losing my ass in the NFL and NHL degenerate betting. I have not been on a good run. So thank God the UFC is back to pull a little bit of weight. But that's uh, that's about it for me, man. Nothing too exciting the last couple of weeks besides MMA being back. Yeah. Uh, what, another thing that I've been trying to do is actually become a morning person now. Like I'm trying to do the whole wake up at 7, 730, have a legit breakfast, uh, do a workout, whatever it might be, and then get into my uh, MMA work. Because uh, I used to just wake up at like 10.30, you know, 10, 10.30, <laughs> sleep in and then go to sleep at like 3, 4 a.m. So I still try to get as much sleep as possible. But I got to go back to being a regular human being. And I got to say the past week and a half, it's been pretty good. You know what I mean? Getting as much work that I get done before the wife gets home. 
and then I'm in bed by like 11 o'clock or something like that, man, it feels great. I'm, I got so much energy. So I'm hoping to keep that flowing over the next little while. Uh, again, knock on wood. I don't have any locky late night uh, episodes or anything like that. Cause I want to continue this morning thing going on as well. I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, hey, there's our uh, five-minute marker talking about random bullshit that's not related to MMA. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, kick this show off for realsies. Everybody wants to know about what's going on. Damn, do we have a fun event coming up, and we had a damn good event to kick off 2022. Let's talk about what happened last week. Calvin Cater taking on Giga. Chikatsi, man. I know you've got some thoughts about a couple of the things that went down. And then, of course, maybe some of the comments were made after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll save that a little bit for the uh, the back end of the show here. And obviously the new segment that we want to kind of introduce to everybody. But, man, what a performance from Calvin Cater, right? Comes in as a plus 200 dog. A lot of people kind of overlooking him. Uh, the narrative throughout the week was like, yeah, Calvin Cater is the bet, you know, at the odds. But more than likely, considering the beatdown that he suffered to Max Holloway a year prior, you know, going up against a guy like Giga Chikadze, probably not the best fighter uh, to come back to, but man, he did a damn good job in terms of muzzling what uh, Giga Chikadze normally does in that first round, which is just unload on his opponents. It seemed like Giga slipped and Cater took full advantage uh, and, and then pretty much just grounded him out for the, the majority of that first round. And then you saw Giga start to slow down in that second round and Calvin Cater was able to just go ham pretty much right he just really worked him i'm surprised he didn't get him out of there especially with the amount of damage he was inflicting on jikaze there there's a certain point i think in round four where he just started res resorting to elbows like he didn't even throw punches anymore he was just elbowing anytime he stepped in and that's where you see like the the cuts all over uh jikaze's face man absolutely brilliant performance from cater uh to come back from such a beatdown and and have that type of performance Shout out to anybody that had money, had money on Cater. And then obviously shout out to the New England cartel guys for being able to get their guy back in the win column in such a dominant fashion. Absolutely, man. I couldn't have been more impressed with Calvin Cater. And I'm just still kicking myself because like you mentioned, we all talked about it. I even said the bet is Calvin Cater, but I'm picking Giga Chikadze. That's like one of those things where you're like, well, but if that's how you really feel, you should just be betting Calvin Cater. Like none right. of us did it. We didn't pull the damn trigger. It was, uh, it was there for the taking, and he showed off what everybody was forgetting about him, what made us fall in love with him in the first place. So incredible performance, and I cannot believe that Giga's face did not break with that amount of output. <laughs> I cannot believe that the corner man didn't throw the towel in. I don't know how the referees didn't stop it with that, uh, you know, those cuts that he had all over his eye and shit. Like, I thought for sure Calvin Cater was going to get Giga out of there, but credit to Giga's toughness. Uh, Calvin Cater definitely paid that beating from Max Holloway forward. <laughs> Dude, I, I was holding on to some round three, four, and five Cater tickets as well just for my degenerate itch. And I'm like, just stop the fight. Like, somebody please stop the fight. Giga's <laughs> not benefiting from this, nor does he have the power to actually make any sort of comeback in this fight. Uh, but we see the full 25 minutes in that fight. And uh, Calvin Cater obviously gets his hand raised there via decision. But let's spin it forward to another uh, fight on that card, actually. Uh, Brandon Roy Val. Uh, Hajiria Bontarin, a uh, little bit of a skeptical decision there, right? I'm actually just pulling up MMA decisions here. Uh, and in terms of uh, scorecards, we had a 29 28 uh, from Eric Cologne on Roy Val, giving him rounds one and three, as well as Chris Lee giving him rounds one and three. Douglas Crosby gives Bontarin rounds one and two. And then obviously round three to Roy Val. Uh, a lot of the media scores were on the Roy Val side. Uh, and then in terms of the fan scoring, there were 125 scorecards submitted. 49.6% uh, of them actually scored at 29-28 Brandon Roy Val. It was really coming down to that first round where 53% uh, of people believed that Roy Val deserved that fight. But it really came down to like damage versus control, right? Bontrain did a good job of getting him to the ground and holding him there. But no damage really, right? The, I'd say the most significant moment of the fight was the, the armbar that Roy Val was able to put up. I believe that was in the second round. And obviously we'll talk a little bit more about the, the tap or not tap after that. But I don't round, mind them actually. scoring it. I don't mind them scoring it for Roy Val, right? What's criteria number one on judging and the scorecards? It's damage. And he was the only one going for damage. It was just Bond from really trying to hold him down and, and control him. That's not enough, in my opinion. You gotta you gotta wanna try to get your opponent out of there. And that's what Roy Val was doing. 
I agree, man. I completely agree. And that's something that I've actually tried to work into my gambling. I know that this is kind of us being more fans and away from the gambling side of things, but that is something to bear in mind that these judges do not like blanket control anymore. There's a reason John Fitch got booted from the UFC. Like they just don't like it when you simply lay on top of your opponent. There's got to be some activity. There's got to be some ground and pound. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to say, but he tried submissions. But was he ever close? I mean, like, was Bontarine ever really that close to getting any submissions? It was mostly positional control, which we always want to say, you know, position over submission is going to get you the wins. That's going to be the best option for you. But when you can't attack, when you can't threaten, when your opponent doesn't ever look like they're turning purple, you can't give them a whole lot of credit for offense given that. And even when you look at the significant striking numbers, it was very clearly Roy Val overcoming his opponent with those significant strikes. And when he got taken down, I mean, I know the takedowns came easy, but at the same time, he was back up and doing work just a couple of minutes later. I'm kind of with you. I, I scored this thing 29-28 for Roy Val myself. I was sweating bullets because I had a massive bet on Brandon Roy Val. And, of course, for the uh, contest that you and I do here, the deadlock duel, I needed Brandon Roy Val to pull out a win. So there was a lot riding on that decision for me. But I think they got it right, if I'm being honest. However, in MMA, we hear the term robbery thrown around left and right. We hear it two or three times. Every single event, people have tickets in their pockets. They get upset when their fighter loses. This would not have been a robbery if they had scored that fight 29-28 for Bontorin rather than Roy Val. You know what fight it actually kind of reminds me of? This is a throwback. Um, UFC 177. Somebody can fact, fact check me on this. Tony Ferguson versus Danny Castillo. Danny Castillo grounds in pretty much the majority of the fight, takes him down. But the entire time, Tony Ferguson's working off of his back, just hitting him with elbows, hitting him with punches. Exactly. The, the, the patented Tony Ferguson elbows. He just stayed working, even though he wasn't in the dominant position. It almost seemed like his dominant position because he was trapping Danny Castillo in his guard and really just letting those uh, those strikes go. And that's really what it reminded me of. So when they got to the judges' scorecards, I'm like, it wouldn't surprise me if they actually scored this for Rival because he's the one that looked like he was actually trying to win the fight and, mm -hmm. and cause damage. And again, criteria number one, damage. Now, let's talk about the other interesting thing that happened in this fight, right? The phantom tap. I like to call it the phantom tap because... It, it looked sketchy. The 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 replay that they initially showed to us was a little bit sketchy, just because uh, as he's starting to tap, uh, the the referee walks by the the, the camera and kind of um, provides an obstacle for us in terms of to see uh, if there was a tap or not. But there was another uh, view that came out where it showed like he looked like he was about to tap but realized that the armbar was starting to slip off and then decided not to tap because there is no reason I'm a, you know there's absolutely no reason to defend an armbar by putting your hand over the guy's leg the way that he did that's normally the tap position that's why i think that there was so much controversy and people thought he tapped but i think it was more so he was thinking about it the momentum of him bringing his arm and his wrist kind of hitting the thigh of roy val caused the hand to kind of just fluff like this a little bit Again, more than one tap would be nice, and a verbal tap would have, would have been even better. We got none of those. So I'm completely fine with Bontrine, you know, non-tapping there. I don't think that was a tap, nor do I think Roy Val let go of the submission because he thought the guy tapped either. Bontrine was just getting out of it perfectly, stood up, stacked, whatever he had to do, he got out of the submission. That's my per perspective. I don't think he tapped. So from my perspective, Locke, I think that we have something that's as close to a coin landing on its edge as you have ever seen. I've got grappling experience. You know, I'm a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My right arm clicks from not tapping <laughs> to an arm bar a couple of years ago that to this day, it still has never fully recovered. And let me tell you, that was a panic tap. That was an oh shit because that arm bar was in. It was hyperextended. He felt that pain. And then he got that first tap in and it adjusted just enough. It loosened up just enough that he was able to go ahead and wiggle out of it. So what we have is I think the intent was absolutely a tap. But by the letter of the law, you have to tap twice 
or you have to verbally submit and neither of those things happen. So I completely agree with you with the fact that it was not actually a tap, even though I've tweeted a million times that it was a tap because in Bontarine's head, he knows. He knows, Locke. He knows he tapped. Again, I, I don't think it was a tap, but <laughs> it's just inc inconclusive. Like you said, it was just like the, the heads and tails. It's just right on right on the 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 mark there i uh you know there's not much you can say about it honestly i would love to sit here and beat my chest and say that roy val submitted him but obviously he slipped out enough to not complete and go for that second slap that would have made it a tap so he slipped off i don't know that it was his defense that really did it i think roy val just kind of slipped off a little bit but the fact that he came this close to finishing I, i'll take it i will absolutely take it I had an under two and a half ticket. So trust me, I wanted it to be a tap. <laughs> I didn't get it though. I hear you, man. I hear you. I had the uh, round three sprinkle with Brandon Roy Val at 12 to one. So I wanted it to be a tap pretty damn bad. <laughs> <laughs> all good. All good. Hell yeah, man. All right. Let's let's go ahead and move this thing forward. And we got a big pay-per-view card coming up on Saturday. UFC 270. Francis Ngannou taking on Cyril Gan and the big big storyline that's looming over this whole thing about these guys being former training partners. We've got the UFC that appears to have set Francis up for failure. You know, they put an interim strap on the line for Cyril Gan when they really didn't need to. It's a position that we've never really seen them put an interim belt on the line. It seems almost like they wanted to pick this guy as the man that would get in the way or dethrone Francis Ngannou, setting this whole thing up to just be the massive pile that it is. And the betting fan base is split lock. We've got a ton of people with very strong opinions. Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gan. How do you feel about this fight? And uh, how excited are you to see what goes down? Because this has got to be maybe the best and most intense UFC heavyweight fight we've had in years. Yeah, honestly, the only one that comes to mind that I was this excited for was probably Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos 2. We obviously know the first one ended within a minute, JDS clipping him and then uh, coming back and getting dismantled for the next 10 rounds or so against Cain Velasquez. But that style of, you know, the wrestling grinding style of Cain Velasquez versus the technical boxing style of Junior Dos Santos was very, you know, enticing back then. It was very interesting to see how that type of puzzle would have been solved. But now you got the hard hardest hitter the UFC has ever seen bar none nobody comes close in my opinion yeah going up against the most technical fighter we've ever seen in the heavyweight division and uh that's not just with the striking right he has a, a decent submission game as well which he's been able to pull off a couple of inside the UFC he moves well if there is anybody that can defeat Francis Ngannou it would be this guy you know what I mean he would nullify the amount of uh uh, of the blunt force that he would be receiving from these big shots from Francis Ngannou um, with his movement, with his kicks, with his range management, all that. I am I really like Gan in this spot, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in the deadlock duo spot, but it would very much benefit, at least in my opinion, it would benefit the UFC if Cyril Gan actually gets the, the strap in this spot because we know one of the other big storylines kind of going into this fight is this is Francis's last fight on his contract if he loses? Because if he wins, he automatically gets renewed for another three fights. But we, you know, then there's that whole, you know, the, there's going to be some stalling. Uh, there's going to be some contract negotiations. He talks about how he wants to have boxing involved in his contract as well. I don't think the UFC would allow that, right? Like they're not going to have, uh, I don't think they would make nearly as much money as when Connor fought Mayweather. And if they were to do Engano versus Tyson Fury, something like that, there's no way they make that amount of money uh, with that matchup. And that's why I don't think the UFC would be down to do it. So uh, the real fight here, in my opinion, is the UFC against Francis Engano, because uh, the faller of this is going to be massive, in my opinion, whether he wins or loses. I completely agree. This is huge. This is absolutely huge for the UFC, for the heavyweight division moving forward, because Man, if Francis wins, he holds all the cards. This man is the definition of betting on yourself right now because he's saying this is the last fight on my contract. I'm setting the bar high as far as what I'm asking for moving forward. He knows his worth, and he's willing to put that all on the line against the most dangerous opponent he has ever had and maybe the most complete fighter the heavyweight division has ever seen. He's willing to take those odds, put it all on himself, 
and really go for that score. And that puts the UFC in a very precarious position because if Cyril Gaon steps in here, all they got to do is give the man a raise. All they got to do is hand the man a belt, say, here's your pay-per-view points. Job well done, son. Thank you very much for bailing us out there. But if Francis wins, the UFC is very much going to be sitting in a corner looking for some options because uh, they're definitely going to have an uphill battle. So for me personally, uh, honestly, man, I am rooting for Cyril, or not for Cyril, for Francis Ngannou in this situation. Just come from a fighter pay type of standpoint, from an athlete rights standpoint, I think that uh, we could see some progress if Francis Ngannou retains that belt and puts the UFC in a position where they have to negotiate more. And I think I disagree with you just ever so slightly on the boxing thing because Tyson Fury in the last couple of years with the trilogy fight they had with the heavyweight boxing stuff going on, that's been the most exciting thing outside of Jake Paul for the boxing community. There is no bigger star right now than Tyson Fury in boxing. And if Francis Ngannou comes out, and like I mentioned before, the accolades, the hype around Cyril Gaon, if he KOs Gaon in round one, that's a fight that you can sell. Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou is absolutely a fight that you can sell. Maybe it doesn't get Conor Mayweather numbers. Maybe not. But, I mean, what's more to love than heavyweights? Everybody loves the big boys in boxing and in MMA. And this would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think that's the kind of pie that the UFC would want to get a piece of, especially if they have to negotiate with Francis Ngannou. I, I I'm not 100% sold on that, but I could absolutely see that happening, right? It's it is a possibility, but in my opinion, I feel like if Francis does win, I feel like they're going to be painting themselves into a corner in a sense that he's going to keep wanting more money, right? He's going to want the million dollar paydays. He's going to want more pay per view points or what it might be, whatever it might be. I'm not sure how much he's out for it to fix the the pay situation for all fighters i think literally it's just him that wants to get this figured out and i feel like he's kind of losing it uh losing the purpose of it because he should probably make that crusade uh, a little bit more as well right he's the heavyweight champion everybody wants to see him go out there and knock out people and you know we don't really have connor to do it anymore he doesn't really give a shit the guys like we said last week he's or two weeks ago he's chilling on his lamborghini yacht he doesn't care about uh, a base fighter making 12 and 12 or something like that maybe francis does maybe that's the guy that's going to make the change but it's it hasn't really worked out well for anybody that wants to play hardball with the ufc right to this date like there was the famous one from back in the day with roger huerta who you know he was on sports illustrated cover and he's doing all the big things and the ufc just you know they, they kept him on the shelf and then they gave him his toughest matchup gray maynard who put him through the mat there and roger huerta was nowhere to be found after that ends up in thailand at tiger white's eye or something and then comes back in bellator right i just it would be I just don't want to see what it would happen. What would happen really if Francis Ngannou wins? I I really think that Cyril Gunn's going to win anyway. We'll talk about it in the deadlock duel. But, we will get to that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm more excited to see what would happen if Francis loses. Is he going to pack up his stuff and go to Bellator? Is he going to pack up his stuff and go to PFL? Is he going to go to the EFC, which is now making waves with all the names that they're starting to, to sign and all that? That's what I'm more interested in seeing is where would Francis go? I doubt he's going to resign with the UFC. Nor would he get the money that he thinks he he would get. Again, a lot of his leverage would be gone as well if uh, he loses this fight. So a lot more on the line rather than just, you know, what is it, 12 pounds of gold that's going to be on the uh, on the line here. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's not just a fight that's going to happen inside the cage. It's a fight that's going to be happening in the negotiation rooms afterwards that I'm most excited about. I like if it, you... man. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I like it. I mean, if you give me if you give me a, a betting line as to where Francis is gonna end up, I think I'm gonna bank on him going to the PFL. Pull the old Kayla Harrison where you get a million dollars annually because you can't, you know, nobody in the division can touch you in a smaller organization. He walks over, knocks out two people, and makes a million bucks. Like that's the move if you're Francis and Ganu. Head to the PFL. <laughs> and, and and look at the ever professional Clint McLean segueing us to our next topic here with Kayla Harrison in terms of what's going on with her, right? Uh, there was a report that came out a couple of days ago by Ariel Hawani saying that PFL is in the lead right now in terms of re-signing her and getting her back into the PFL. But uh, I read from Ali Abdel Aziz, actually, uh, the other day he put out... Uh, I'm just going to read his tweet here. Uh, stay tuned, guys. Uh, we will let you know who is Kayla going to be signing with very soon. It's going to blow your mind. And that kind of leads me to believe that it's not her re-signing with the PFL, right? Everybody, if it is the PFL, everybody's going to be like, ah, okay, of course. She's going back to the PFL. 
she he also commented about the um the rivalry between her and Amanda Nunes and I'm trying to find oh here it is uh now that Amanda Nunes has left ATT this is the fight I always wanted but I was respected because they're teammates I respect Amanda but this fight will not last one round at Kayla Harrison and then he tweets and to be clear Mike Brown Dan Lambert they never wanted Amanda and Kayla to fight I respected their decision but now this fight needs to happen so Ali Abdelaziz, the the manager of Kayla Harrison, gotta make you believe that maybe she is on her way to the UFC, right? Maybe she's still the 145 pound champion. She still holds that strap. I know she lost to Pena, so maybe the zest of that fight before the Pena fight is gone a little bit. But she's still the champion technically, and and everybody wants to see this fight. This would be the toughest test of Kayla Harrison's career if she actually makes it to to the UFC and lines up this fight with Amanda Nunes. Who is she going to fight afterwards if she beats Amanda Nunes? Who knows? Maybe Megan Anderson will come out of retirement or something, and that one forty five pound division could bolster itself once again. But I would love to see Kayla in the UFC. Right from a fan's perspective, I would love to see her there, but she's doing a disservice to herself with not taking the million dollars every year. You know I mean? That, that's the easiest way you're going to make a million dollars. Give me Larissa Pacheco versus Kayla Harrison seven and just let her keep fucking making that money because that's what's going to end up happening in this spot. I like Kayla uh, to, to stay at the PFL personally. Um, or, or sorry, I like her to go to the UFC from a fan's perspective. But if I'm looking out for her best interest, I think staying with the PFL is the best way to go. Yeah, man, I, I guess... After hearing that tweet, I literally looked at my screen and I, I'm talking as if I can speak to Ali. And I'm like, really, Ali? Will it really surprise us? Is it going to blow us away where she ends up? Because what are the options? What are we talking about here? She can re-sign with the PFL, which everybody knows is in the lead. She can go to the UFC, which is the most obvious jump for her because it opens up that you know rivalry, the gym buddies that turned into enemies and you know it's the biggest former teammates yeah the (laughs) former teammates gotta love it and then what's the next thing bellator like where else would she go is khabib jumping up and now she's gonna head to the eagle fc where she's got it even easier like no he doesn't allow women in the eagle fc (laughs) that's off the table bro like i don't know what what are you really gonna surprise me with ali like i pretty sure nothing is going to blow my mind when the contract comes out. It's either stay in the PFL and make a million dollars, fight Amanda Nunez in the UFC, or take on Cyborg over in Bellator. And I got to tell you, I'm here for either of those two matchups. As much as I agree with you from a fighter perspective, she's got it easy in the PFL. Stay there, make a million bucks every single year. If you give me the opportunity to make a million bucks easy every year, that's sure as hell where I'm going. But she's a top-tier athlete she wants to challenge herself against the best in the world i can absolutely see her taking either of those options and i'm here for it if she goes and mauls cyborg i want to see that if she takes on amanda nunez i want to see that but i also think you're right the amanda nunez thing has lost just a little bit of its flavor with her taking the l to juliana pena because man if she took that loss down at 135 how's she going to handle a fighter that's just as physical maybe even more impressive up at 145. I think it looks a whole hell of a lot like the Juliana Pena fight. She ends up on her back just that much quicker. So I don't think there's as much of an appetite for that fight in the UFC anymore after seeing what Pena did to her. But who am I kidding? I will still pay for it. I will still watch it. Yeah, two things I just want to touch on, then we can move on. Uh, Out of the three options that you laid out, the most mind-blowing would be Bellator because they just seem to be last in this three-person race, right? Nobody's really expecting her to go to Bellator. Nobody's really even talking about it, right? Yeah. I feel like me and you are the only ones that ever brought up Kayla Harrison and Bellator in the same conversation because it's always been PFL or the UFC. Uh, and, and then secondly, uh, in terms of Amanda Nunes leaving ATT, the interesting thing to note there is that the last time she had changed camps was when she last lost which was to Kat Zingano. She was with the MMA Masters. Uh, I believe that's where Colby uh, Covington is right now. Uh, Miguel Baeza, Ricardo Lamas used to fight out of there. A gym down in Florida. She lost that fight to Zingano. Then she changes over to ATT. Then she goes on her historic run, and she loses one fight, and she's up and leaving. I think she's creating her own gym, if I'm not mistaken. That's yeah. what, what what the news is, that she wants to create her own gym. There's so many gyms down there in Florida. Like, what are, you, what are they doing? You got Fusion XL. You got ATT. You got Sanford MMA. You got MMA Masters. Like, the last thing they need is another gym. But if she wants to go out there and train by herself and just have, like, a, a boxing-type 
camp where it's just focusing on one soul fighter, you know, go for it. This is a woman that was talking about retiring recently as well, right? She wanted to just uh, sail off into the sunset, have her kid with uh, with Nina Nunes and just do her own thing. She's made enough money, but now she's creating her own gym and she wants to come back and fight again. I, I, I feel like the Kayla Harrison thing is there. I feel like Kayla's eventually going to come to the UFC. Again, the, the word right now is that PFL is in the lead, but it's not a done deal. And if anything, Ali's tweets are making me feel like uh, she might be coming to the UFC or it's not PFL at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably got to be the UFC is that that front runner option. And really, the UFC, they would love to pass that torch, right? If Amanda Nunez is calling it quits, if she is hanging it up and going, you know, family lifestyle from here on out, she's made her money. She can relax. Getting a star like Kayla Harrison to take over the 145-pound division, that would benefit them. So I can absolutely see them making that push to try and steal that star away from the PFL. But I'm interested to see, man. I'm interested to see where she ends up landing. There's a couple of pretty good options. And uh, I don't know, Ali just doing what Ali does and making sure to be as cryptic as possible to keep us all on the edge of our seats. (laughs) I'm that guy. Oh, man. All right. So with that one being wrapped up, I think we can take a look at uh, this upcoming round of Fighter's Dogs. And I wasn't ready to control it, so I didn't hit the button. (laughs) See, the issue, Locke, is that last week you drove. I wasn't ready to be (laughs) behind the driver's seat over here holding the wheel. So I wasn't ready to hit the button for the transition. But here we go, fighter stonks. Very first thing we want to do is a couple of the stonks that we have purchased are headed into action. First up, my guy Askar Askarov taking on Kaikar of France on March 26th. And I got to tell you, Locke, one of the reasons I bought that stonk for Askar Askarov is for this matchup specifically i think he's going to murder kai carl france i want them to drop a line be anywhere reasonable for me because i want to back my dump truck and my life savings up on askar askarov against kai carl france i bet on kai carl france last time around he could not be higher in the public eye right now with that incredible knockout over cody garbrandt so i'm hoping that that keeps this line nice and tight for me and I can get some value on Askar Askarov. I think he's going to massacre this man and get his way up to the title shot next. I'd be surprised if he's better than minus 300. I mean, I, I feel like that's going to be the line here. Kai Car France, we know what he's about, right? He has big power, as he showed in the Cody Garbrandt fight, but he can be outworked, out-techniqued, and that's exactly what I think that Askarov is going to do. And I think that sets you up perfectly, man. That That is a great first fight in 2022 because that pretty much is knocking at a, door, uh, at a title shot, right? Cody Garbrandt was in line for that title shot had he beaten Kai Car France. But Kai Car France gets a dub. Now he goes up against Askarov. Got to believe that this is a number one contender fight. So I think you bought in on that stonk at the perfect time, just as I bought in the perfect time on Nasadine Imovov, who's scheduled to go up against Calvin Gastelum. Uh, that fight's supposed to be going down at UFC 273 on April 9th. Uh, very much excited for that fight, right? Calvin Gastelum, man, it, it sucks to continuously see him at middleweight. If I'm not mistaken, he changed camps uh, over the last couple months. I'm not sure where he is at right now, but I know he's changed camps. uh, And I thought that was going to be a sign that he might even be going back down to 170 pounds. That was where he is best, and that's where he's going to be most successful. Unfortunately, now he comes in against the big, tall, rangy Nasruddin Imovov, and I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be a bad night for for Kevin Gastelum, to be honest. I think he he wins that fight. I wouldn't even be surprised if Imovov is around evens in that fight, but I think his stonk is going to uh, incredibly uh, go through the roof here with the win over Kevin Gastelum. Again, Gastelum, not a big player in the middleweight division anymore, but he has name value, and that's going to be enough to raise the stonk here on Imovov, especially if he's able to go in there and get the win. It's going to be tough to put away a guy like Gastelum, but I think that Imovov can do... Uh, to can have enough of a dominant performance here uh, to really raise that stonk and uh, put us in a damn good position. Well, what are your thoughts on that fight specifically? 
You know, man, I'm actually really torn on that one. When you picked Imovov as your stonk, I was actually really surprised. I felt like there were a lot of other stronger options out there, and that was one that really kind of caught me off guard. I like Imovov. I can understand, you know, him having a bright future, and I do think that he's getting better. His last performance absolutely showed that. But this is a massive step up against Kelvin Gastelum. And KG is that guy that we just always forget about. Like every, and not like actually forget about, but every time he gets into a big fight, everybody's like, ah, he's fighting up at 185. He's going to lose this. And then he pops up and shows you that he's a quality fighter. He's a title challenger level fighter. And we're all like, oh shit, Kellen Gastelum is still a thing. So I'm a little bit worried about that for your guy here, just because I feel like maybe we're looking past Kelvin Gastelum a little bit. I do think he belongs down at 170 rather than 185. Completely agree with you on that note. So there's a chance that Imovov can just kind of size his way to a win here. But hey, other fighters have tried and failed too. I'll be very interested to see the betting line for that one. And I'll be very interested to do the tape study for it when it gets a little bit closer. Because I'm not quite sure of my opinion on that fight just yet. But it should be a hell of a fun fight. Uh, I think maybe the most interesting stonk situation that we've got going forward is maybe the fight between Patty Pimblett and Jared <laughs> Gordon. One of the most botched fight announcements I have ever seen. Barstool, I love you guys. I love what you do. I love what you bring to the table. But them having Dana White on and announcing that this fight was taking place and then both managers replying and being like, nah, bro, this fight has not been agreed to. Nobody signed any paperwork. Like, that was just an absolute blunder. It was hilarious. I couldn't have laughed harder at that. Uh, but I'd be excited for this fight were it to take place and for a fighter for you to have sold on to have a matchup in his hometown against a guy like Jared Gordon. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm actually excited. I was surprised that they, they're giving him a name like Jared Gordon here who could make this a long night for Mr. Patty Pimwood. Um, I'm expecting Pimlet to obviously be the favorite here. The hype obviously has an effect on the line, and I think that's going to happen here. And I think the one thing that a lot of people are going to believe or or read into the narrative here on Jared Gordon every single fight week is that he's chinny and that he can't take a punch, and more than likely, Patty Pimlet will knock him out. I will happily allow those people to keep thinking that way if I can get a better line on Jordan Gooden, Jared Gooden. I'm that in guy. Spot. I'm the guy saying <laughs> that. That's why he cast Jared Gordon last time. And I think you're on the opposite side for that fight, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, is what it is. I think it's a great matchup in terms of even proving to me whether Patty Pimlet is the shit. I don't think he is the shit. I think he's a fun fighter. I think he's going to have some fun fights. But when he's going up against stylistic nightmares that I believe Jared Gordon is going to be here... I think he ends up losing, and that's why exactly I'm selling his stonk. So uh, I remember when I when I said I'm selling his stonk, uh, a lot of people are hit me up like bad choice, man. They're gonna they're gonna favor him up with favorable matchups and all that <laughs> stuff. And I get it. That was a, a, an idea or or something I knew going into it. But uh, man, I think I hit the jackpot here in terms of the matchmaking that they're giving Patty Pimblin in a second fight. And I think that Gordon uh, will likely get him out of there, maybe decision or something like that. But again. I can't wait to see what the betting line is uh, for that specific fight. But one thing that we wanted to do before we actually drafted a, a couple more uh, stongs here, or bought a couple more stongs here, is kind of discuss how we're going to be tracking it, right? Uh, I'm sure you got this as well after we did the last episode. I had a bunch of people hit me up saying... Um, uh, prediction strike that's the the apparently there's a website out there where you can buy actually buy stocks on fighters and uh you know it tracks them throughout the year how they do all that type of stuff i personally didn't get to look into it yet because i think that me and you are still trying to figure out what we want to do specifically to track these stocks um i'd be happy to give it a look to see what it, what they bring to the table but i also wouldn't mind creating our own system saying you know they get five points or something if they win a fight they get 10 points if it's a main event they get you know three points if it's a late prelim or a prelim headliner things like that i feel like we need to incorporate to kind of judge whether we bought a good stonk or we bought a bad stonk what, what yeah. are your thoughts in regards to that I'm right there with you on that one, Locke. I want to look at the end of this site and check it out and see what it does because I also got that tip a couple of times. I also heard some things about it. But I actually also kind of do like us coming up with our own system, kind of like how we did with the Deadlock Duel. We've got our own point system. I do think that that's kind of cool to be like, hey, we bought Stonk in this fighter, so we get points if they win. We get 
more points for a main card. We get more points for a main event. We get more points for a title. That way we can kind of develop our own system for how exactly our stonks are going up or down because we're going to have to keep track of every fighter that we buy and then, of course, every fighter that we sell. So we'd have to come up with an inverse system for what we're what we're gaining in points when a fighter loses that we have sold on. So it's, uh, it's going to be something that we honestly didn't think through well enough before we did this thing. It was just going to be kind of a fun, hey, they're going up, hey, they're going down. Do we want to keep it that way or do we want to make it an intricate system and actually dig into this thing and make it more of a game? Uh, I think that's something you and I will have to consider over the next couple of weeks and kind of chat about because, hey, if we could make a fighter stonks game, I actually think that might be kind of interesting. And who knows, maybe we make its own site and let people buy in on it and people can buy and trade stonks and we can bring that to the, the people who want one more way to play MMA. I don't know. We got to kind of chat about it, but there's a lot of potential here, I think. Even just about wrapping it like right now, uh, I think we could come up with something pretty cool that, like you said, the viewers and the fans can get in on as well and they can buy and sell their own stongs. So, uh, yeah, if we talk about this a little bit more, I'm sure we can figure something out. Obviously, I'll give Prediction Strike a look. A shout out to my guy, DXJC. I'm sure he's in your uh, chats all the time as well. I, I was ragging on the dude the other stream that I was doing. I'm saying, dude, do you ever sleep? Do you have a family? Do, do you have social life? You're on every freaking stream. But we obviously appreciate the support, DXJC. We love the yeah, support. Apparently, his homies, homie created a prediction strike so we'll, we'll definitely give it a look and see if it's uh, something that we want to incorporate or if we're going to come up with something of our own all right so let's just get into the other two fighters that we want to buy into right we want to hold on to at least five fighters and then kind of go buy and sell from there uh since you had first pick last time i'm going first this time it's something we already agreed upon before the stream here so yeah <laughs> uh there, there were two fighters that i was looking at here let me just pull up their names and I'll see which one I'm actually going to go with. First and foremost, you know what? I I'm going to do it. Number 13, lightweight. I'm going with Armand Sarukian. I feel like he's a great stonk. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like he has a fight coming up. Uh, I'm going to quickly confirm that as I pass it on over to you to make your first selection of uh, your stonk. I have been so torn on on this because, like you mentioned, we want to hold about, you know, five of these stonks to be bought on for people that we want to buy in on. And there's so many young up-and-comers that I really would like to have on my roster, but it's really tough to cut it down to just five selections. Uh, but I think the one that uh, – now, correct me if you already stole him. I don't think that you did. Uh, but the one piece of my puzzle that's really been missing over here, Locke, is Jamal Hill. I think light heavyweight Jamal Hill is someone who is headed for the title. I think he's going to cause a lot of people problems moving forward. He's kind of the forgotten dark horse of that division right now. And he's about to wake some people up. So I think I need to snag Jamal Hill while I've got the opportunity to, because that boy is only going up from where he's at right now. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Uh, getting mad disrespect in his last fight against Jimmy Crute. Uh, oh, that was so sweet. As the underdog oh. there. <laughs> um, yeah, Armand Sarukin actually does have a fight February 26th against Joel Alvarez. So uh, Joel Alvarez obviously coming on hot after that dismantling of Tiago Moises back in November, I believe. So good spot for Sarukin to stay active, and hopefully he continues to ascend up that lightweight ranking. All right, my second selection for tonight, we're going to go with the women's division here. I'm going to go with Manon Firo. I She has oh. a fight coming up with Jessica I, I believe, on one of the upcoming pay-per-views. I think she knocks her ass out, to be honest. And I think she maybe fights maybe once or two more times before getting that crack at the title. Again, not many people in that flyweight division lining up to fight Valentina Shevchenko. But I feel like a girl like Manon Firo and the aggressiveness and just ferocity that she fights with, I think she could put up a decent fight against Shevchenko. Does she win? I don't know. But again, I feel like she will find herself in a title shot position by the end of the year. So my second stonk tonight today is going to be Manol Firo. That's a great choice, man. And you and I are on the exact same page here, Locke. I got so many messages after we did that first segment about where are the women fighters and people listing off all the female fighters that we potentially should have snagged and gotten on. And I was like, guys, we only got to pick three. Like, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to. There's a couple of names I got out there, but we can only have three. So I was making sure to hit one of the women fighters today myself and i've got two names that i'm like coin flipping <laughs> here on which one i want to take because it's a tough decision but i think at the end of the day 
Uh, I got to go with someone who I think right now is maybe a little bit lower on the totem pole, so she has more room to rise for me in the future, and that's going to be none other than Mashka. Myra Agapova is going to be my stock selection for today, Locke, because I think she's the right kind of crazy. I cashed a ticket on her (laughs) last time, and every single time she gets a fine announced or I cash a ticket on her, I listen to that Russian Kamaz song that you know (laughs) everyone likes to play. Uh, Vodka something, I forgot Exactly, and they say drink shots, fireball. Yeah, it's it's my song. I love that song. (laughs) So I've got to go with my Russian girl, Myra Mashka, Agapova. I think she's going to be a problem moving forward. And I think uh, a lot of people are kind of selling short on her because of some of the allegations from the camp and all that kind of stuff. But don't let that fool you. She is vicious and she is coming. <laughs> Huge grudge match that she has coming up. Like you said, the the allegations of her partying and all that stuff. She's going up against the woman that actually brought those allegations to light, Marina Moroz. So I'm very excited to see how I love that, that one goes so down. Much. Yeah, I, again, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that it gets more of a spotlight than most other fights that night because of that bad blood that's going to go into it. So, uh, yeah, gr- great stock. Uh, honestly, I thought you were going to go with Casey O'Neill. I think that was the other fighter that you were considering, was it not? Actually, no. Casey O'Neill oh, was not the other fighter that I was thinking of, which, again, though, this is where, hey, we've only got five. Like, Casey yeah. O'Neill and Aaron Blanchfield was actually the other one that okay. I was looking at. Blanchfield is one that I'm super high on. I'm sold on this chick. I think she's going places. Um, sorry, I guess I should say, you know, girl or woman, something like that rather than chick. But I, I'm super excited about her and her future in the UFC. I think there's a lot of young talent coming in the women's division right now. But when I had to kind of, like, flip through those um, – I feel like there is the chance that a couple of these women stall out because they rise a little too quickly. And that's kind of where I think Casey lands, where they are going to rush her to the top. And I don't know that she's quite ready to take that that spot. So there could be a couple steps backward. Whereas I think Mashka is going to be that slow grind up a little bit under the radar. And that's kind of what I was looking for in a stonk here, which again, we don't really have the game set as to how those points are going to matter for me. So it's just kind of all, you know, head language, my brain here thinking, I I don't really know if that counts for more or less. Once we uh, define the rule set, I might be kicking myself for not taking a different option. (laughs) I I don't blame you about the the Casey O'Neill take that you have there, because I share that take as well. They might be pushing her a little bit too quickly here. And at a certain point, that stonk might might drop here uh, if she does end up taking an L in 2022, which is absolutely possible. Considering the level of a point she's going to have to start fighting if she gets past Roxanne Modafferi, I believe, that fight's next month as well. So uh, good spot there. All right, let's uh, keep this train moving along here, Clint, because we got a brand new uh, segment to introduce to the fans. Let's drop it right now. It is the Daily Doofus segment of the deadlock podcast i was very excited to to get into this one and the one thing i feel like we really struggled with when we came up with the idea of this segment was how do we do it in a way that we don't absolutely insult a fighter or a coach (laughs) and you know where they see us in the streets and they're like hey you made you you made me your daily doofus or you know we had other profane names that we came up for uh with this uh segment but we felt like the I think daily asshole of the was... week is what we started with. Exactly. I didn't want to say it, but you said it. <laughs> you said it. Um, yeah, I, I thought Daily Doofus was the perfect name because it's fun. It's playful. You know what I mean? Like, we're not saying these guys are complete idiots or dumbasses or anything like that. We're just saying they made they may have made a mistake over the last two weeks or something like that that will give them the honors, the dubious honors of being the Doofus of the week or the Daily Doofus. And uh, mine, pretty easy. As soon as I knew that we're going to be doing it for this episode, uh, there's only one that came to mind for me. It's got to be my guy, Giga Chikadze, man. You you can't be saying you beat somebody nine out of ten times looking the way that he does, especially in that video. Like, wait, wait until you're healed up. Wait, like, you know, wait three weeks. Wait a month. Let the, the beating subside a little bit. And then say, I beat this guy nine out of 10 times. And even then, I think I probably would have made it my daily doofus, but it's not as bad as looking like you just got your ass whooped by Calvin Kidder. That's exactly what happened. Um, 
you know, I, I, I was thinking of other comparisons. Like I'm trying to think of like maybe like a sporting comparison, like in the NHL or in the NBA, if a, if a team gets swept 4-0 in the playoffs, like, oh, you know, if it was best of 15, I would have beat them, something like that. Like <laughs> that's pretty much what Giga Chikaz is saying here. You just got whooped on and that's what happens. Now, Kane Velasquez gets knocked out in one one minute by Junior Dos Santos. He's allowed to say that he can beat this guy nine out of 10 times. And luckily enough for him, he was able to go out there the next two events, next two matchups, and beat the crap out of Junior Dos Santos from pillar to post for almost 50 minutes. Uh, yep. I believe both those fights went at least into the fifth round. Um, that's when you can say you beat a guy nine out of 10 times, and he proved it. Unfortunately for Giga Chikadze, I don't think he's going to have the opportunity to prove people wrong here because I don't know if he's going to be able to catch Calvin Cater anymore. I think Cater's going to be chilling at the top. Chikadze might be able to knock out a couple more guys, but I don't think we're going to get that Calvin Cater rematch anytime in the future. But goddamn, nine out of ten times, looking like you just got your brakes beat off. Yep. That's exactly what happened. So that is why Giga Chikadze gets the dubious honors, at least for me, as the Daily Doofus. What about you, brother? I like your first Daily Doofus selection, Locke. And yeah, like you mentioned, at least let the cuts get stitched before you start talking shit about the man who just whooped your ass for 25 straight minutes. That's absolutely deserving of a Daily Doofus award. My Daily Doofus for this episode is going to go to none other than Carlos Boy Philippe, a fighter who I personally have been way lower on than everybody else in the world. Thick Diaz was starting to gain some traction with the fan base. People liked his attitude. They liked his boxing, the way he just stood in front of people and, you know, did this thing even when he was looking, uh, losing. He goes out there and pops for some black market shit that is uh, going to get bitten off by USADA pretty much every single time. So not only was he mediocre at best, you know, another middleweight fighting at heavyweight type of fighter, but he's taking a performance-enhancing drug, and he comes out and he says it was a complete surprise to him that he popped for this thing that you can only find on the black market. Not only that, but he very quickly accepted the 18-month suspension. So I don't know about you, Locke, but when something is a complete surprise to me, I'm not accepting an 18 months uh, suspension over something that caught me off guard boy was caught with his pants down he was lying hand in the cookie jar and he is out of here he has been immediately cut by the ufc removed from fighter watch i'm sure you know with another couple of good wins on the regional scene in a year or two he'll probably be back but that is absolutely grounds for my daily doofus for this episode the best thing to come of that as well our guy jake collier is now uh, he has that no contest, if I'm not mistaken. He has no contest on that fight. So uh, he's pretty much, you know, undefeated since that Tom Aspinall fight now. Uh, yep. Very happy to hear that. And let's be honest, a guy with that brawler tattoo across his cheek. Oh. Yeah, of course, that guy's taking black market supplements or whatever of the course. hell it is. That's exactly <laughs> why I believe. Uh, yeah, absolutely uh, deserving of the, the daily doofus here. Not a big fan of his to begin with. I'll, I'll fully admit that. So, all right. That's the Daily Doofus, folks. First ever segment for it. And, uh, man, I still, I'm a little bit bummed. Like Locke mentioned at the top, we want to keep it fun. We don't want anybody coming after us. But <laughs> Asshole of the Week was such a good name. <laughs> it was. It was. But we probably, if we ever went to Vegas we probably would have got tracked down and beat the shit. <laughs> Someone would be dragging us back in an alley over them being the asshole of the week, especially, you know, you give it a year or two when the deadlock podcast is, you know, number one on the YouTube charts. When I call, <laughs> you know, when I call Luke Rockle the asshole on the week on my show, that's not going to end well for me. I'm going to get head kicked into Tuesday. So, all right, we, we made a smart decision here. Next segment up for everybody is uh, maybe your favorite of the show. We have some picks to give out. The Deadlock Duel. So as you all know, with the Deadlock Duel, we've got our scoring system, and Locke and I are giving picks out for each week. Now, normally speaking, with the show being every other week, we will have two events to cover. There is no UFC event next weekend after UFC 270, so once again, we are only covering one week's worth of fights so Locke and I will both make a prediction on the main event for UFC 270 as well as one other fight on the main card 
dealer's choice. You get to pick whichever fight that you want to go ahead and take. You get more points for picking an underdog. You get less points for picking a favorite. At the end of the day, all you got to do is win. Both Locke and I went two and – I'm sorry, one and one. I almost said two and oh. Both of us went <laughs> one and one last week. We both got our favorite on the uh, main card, and we both whiffed on Giga Chikadze. So we are currently tied. Locke. I'll give you honors. Who do you want to start with for UFC 270 as your pick for the Deadlock Duel? So obviously we're going to do the main event. Uh, I'll start with the main event. I'm going to go with Cyril Gunn. That, that is my pick. I actually have an official bet on him here as well. I got that minus 118 line before the FOMO folks got in on that Cyril Gunn and dropped him up to minus 150. However, I do that believe that uh, Francis Ngannou love is going to start to come as the week starts to close. So if you are looking to bet Cyril Gunn, I, I do suggest you wait on that. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I like Gan in the spot, man. Again, if there's anybody that's going to dethrone Francis Ngannou, it's my guy Cyril Gan. If he's able to take or, or or take a little bit of the zest off those shots from Francis Ngannou with his movement, his footwork, and all that, I think he absolutely toys with Francis. And then I think uh, the longer that this goes, I think he finishes him around four, around five as well. So. Surgan will be my first pick. I might as well just jump into my other pick as well, and then I can hand Go it off it. over to you. Um, again, a little bit skeptical on which one I'm going to be going with here, but I think I'll take my first underdog shot of the deadlock duel here. I'm going to go with Davison Figueredo. I think he comes back, brings the God of War with him. He looks in phenomenal shape. Hopefully the weight cut isn't too bad for him on Friday. Uh, but if if it's good at all, you know, I mean, you got a guy like Henry Suhudo who's been cutting weight his entire life. You got to believe he's been trading some secrets with him to make sure that Davison is ready to go for fight day and for weigh-in day. Uh, and I hope he brings back that same energy that he had in that first fight where he stamped his dominance right from the jump. He, uh, you know, stamped his aggression and let Brandon Moreno know that he's going to do what Davison does. He did not do that in the second fight, and I feel like that was an anomaly. I feel like there's a huge market overreaction just because of Moreno finishing him. If anything, this fight should be closer to a pick'em. There's no reason Brandon Moreno should be up at to minus 175, minus 180. So uh, I got some money on Davison Figueredo at plus 150. Love that spot. That's what I'm going to be going with for my second pick. And if he wins, it's two points for you, boy. Let's see what happens. What do you got? Hey, you know what? Last week I told you after you picked Giga first, I said, regardless of how I feel about this fight playing out, game theory would suggest that I should go against you and pick Calvin Cater. I could have been sitting on a nice lead here yeah. already in episode two if I had just made that move. So this week, luckily, I don't have to worry about that because I'm very naturally on the other side of you in the main event, my guy. I'm taking Francis Ngannou, the king Frankie murder. Give me the underdog in the main event. I like you did a good job with the betting line on this one. I got plus 130. I didn't take that minus 110. I knew money was coming in on Cyril Gunn. So I did go ahead and sit tight and get a better betting line for it. I think the disrespect for the champion being the underdog here is something that you just, you hate to see it, man. You hate to see it. The champion of his own division can't be coming in as the underdog. Plus, the power that Francis Ngannou has is something that nobody has been able to quantify so far. And if Cyril Gan comes out and executes the perfect performance against the deadliest puncher the sport has ever seen, then more power to you. I will tip my hat to you. You got me, but I'm looking to bank two points in the main event when King Francis retains his title my second play that i'll be going with for the deadlock duel since i got an underdog spot in the main event i think i'll go with a favorite for my second play and what i think i have is uh, a spot where another fighter is just being completely disrespected by the general public and the betting community especially rodolfo Vieira, the black belt hunter lock is going to win this fight against wellington Terman. i cannot believe the amount of love i'm seeing in the community for Mr. Terman, who is just barely slightly above a mediocre fighter here in the UFC. I mean, his wins are against people who are cut or are going to be cut by split decision. His losses are against guys who are hanging on to their jobs by a thread. I mean, I don't understand. And I'm the dog hunter. I'm the guy that likes the hot take to pick the fighter to come out of left field to show up and do something. But Rodolfo Vieira is not going to lose to Wellington Terman on Saturday, Locke. They think that Terman can replicate what Anthony Fluffy Hernandez did. And I'll tell you something, people underestimate Fluffy. Terman is not as good as Fluffy is. He ain't pulling that shit off. Black Belt Hunter gets another notch in his belt. 
I, I wish that I let you go first because I would have picked Terman because I do have a bet on Terman myself. So we could have gone head to head on that one. But again, we are head to head on the main event in this spot. But yeah, I, I am one of those non-believers in Adolfo Vieira. And I feel like uh, Wellington Terman is going to be a, a good test for him to see if Vieira is much better uh, than what at least what I believe. So uh, before we do hop on into the next segment here, uh, I do talk uh, want to talk a little bit about the punishments, uh, some of the suggestions and stuff that we've been getting. A lot of it is like food related. You know, I mean, I saw somebody say you should have Kool-Aid pickles or something like that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I didn't, I never even knew that was a thing to begin with. Uh, the only one that I kind of didn't mind, and I feel like you'd get on board with this one as well, is doing the power hour during the podcast. And are you familiar with what a power hour is? No, I'm not overly familiar with the power hour. So the power hour is essentially you take one shot of beer every minute for one hour. However, we have a podcast to run, and it's going to be very difficult for one person <laughs> to be taking a shot of beer every minute. However, I think we can alter it a little bit. Maybe take a shot every two minutes or every three minutes, every four minutes, something that will get that person sloshed by the end of the podcast. So it makes for a little bit more funny content. And especially whenever we get to the let's get deep uh, portion of the show, I'm sure it will be great to have somebody that's completely inebriated on the show. What are your thoughts on that one? I actually like that. I think that's a good punishment because it, it definitely has the element of making you do something that you maybe don't want to do. It also has the element of you looking a little bit stupid on camera. Um, I'm all for it. The only problem is we're going to have to tweak the rule set just a little bit because I don't do beer. I can't actually Ooh. handle my beer. I grew up in a very, very... Uh, humble upbringing and never developed a taste for beer so we'll tweak that and i'll do shots of fireball at some sort of rate so it gets the same effect (laughs) we'll still get there if i happen to be the loser but i don't think we're gonna have to worry about that because i plan on winning okay okay (laughs) there big boy we'll we'll see what happens but i wouldn't mind maybe like a a shot of fireball every 10 minutes or something like that because we do the show for an hour six shots five shots whatever it may be uh that will probably be good for you but again we don't have to figure that out until the end of march uh so we still have some good time and again i'll likely be ending up on the winning end here so we'll see (laughs) what is up all right let's uh wrap this bad boy up with one last segment probably one of my favorites let's get into it Let's get deep. Shout out to my guy, Doc Willis, once again. I love that he did that uh, video voiceover for us. Shout out to Doc Willis. Anybody that listens to the Bad Friends podcast, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, Clint, obviously, I got my my cards here. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to shuffle. I'm going to shuffle until you say stop, and then I'll take the top card. All right. And I'm shuffling. Stop. All right. Top card. This this is a weird one, but let's let's get into it. <laughs> Do you believe in astrology? Why or why not? Oh god. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and just jump right on that hell no train. Like, I do not (laughs) believe in astrology, and I'm probably going to get a ton of shit from people. Uh, My wife's little sister is uh, one of the the crazy crystal chicks, and I'm sorry for calling you one of the crazy crystal chicks. We've we've had some private discussions. She, She knows I'm having fun with her. But no, I don't believe in astrology. I don't believe that just because you're a certain sign, you're going to act a certain way, or when somebody is a complete asshat, and they're like, oh, it's because I'm like, cancer like no stop it like man up and own what you just did apologize for being a dumbass or a jerk like i don't believe in astrology whatsoever lock i do think there are maybe certain things that can be affected by the tide or the positioning of the planet when things happen that like very small minimal things that you could attribute to that but the people that hinge their lives on it sorry if i'm offending anybody personally it's not for me I'm right there with you, dude. I couldn't have even said it better than how you laid it out either. I haven't really had any run-ins with anybody that's been a crazy astrology nut or anything like that. But anytime, like, actually, funny enough, funny enough, my my wife actually uh, asked me yesterday if I wanted to hear what my astrology was. That's the first time <laughs> she's ever said that. Like, literally, the, in the seven, six, seven years that we've been together, that was the first time she said that, and it's hilarious that that question actually came up today as well. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not into it, man. It's just you are who you are. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. It doesn't mean because you're an Aquarius, you're an asshole, whatever it may be. I don't believe in that shit. 
uh, shout out to our guy Monk Maddox MMA here saying, uh, Gemini's never apologize. <laughs> apologize if you need to apologize is what I'm saying. So uh, exactly. There you go. We we got a little deep for you guys on on that astrology question, but hopefully. Do- Continue. Do we want to pull a second card because that was kind of a weird one, or are we just leaving it the one and done? You know what? Let, let's let's leave it with the one and done again. We're getting here okay. to the one hour mark. Let's That's save true. all the questions so that we can continue to span this out over the years and years of podcasting that we're going to be doing together. <laughs> fair take, fair take, Locke. All right, I guess it's about sign out time. We have hit that one hour mark, Locke. When and where can these people find you and your wonderful betting content on UFC related information? right here you guys are watching this show on the <laughs> mma lock of the night channel so make sure you guys check it out uh released everything i actually am as soon as we hop off on here uh i'm gonna be dropping the breakdown for sean strickland versus uh jack hermanson i just completed that tape earlier today recorded my breakdown before we went live and that will be live and free for you guys to check out as soon as i hop off here but yeah mma lot on pretty much everything instagram and twitter uh and yeah that's that's about it what about you clint yeah, diehard MMA podcast. You guys know where to find me. I'll be over on Pub Sports Radio for all my content creation. You can find me at Diehard MMA Pod on pretty much everything as well Instagram, uh, Twitter, and especially on TikTok. I need to up my TikTok game since the UFC has kind of had a what slow do you mean? roll. You're the I, best in the game. I have I have toned it down because there hasn't been as much to cover lately. So I've taken a bit of a sabbatical. I need to ramp back up with the uh, the rest of the content that's rolling on here. But that's where you can find me. <laughs> you really turned the heat up on one of those TikToks with the with your wife and whatever. <laughs> she wouldn't do it with me, Locke. It, that was supposed to be her. She was supposed to be the sexy lady in the bed. That's the whole trend on TikTok is the woman is the one that goes, come back to bed. And she wouldn't do it. So I was like, all right, fine, fuck it. Like, I'll just put something on my head. I'll be the girl. <laughs> Dude, it, it, I think it, 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 it was better with you toweled up on your bed. That was amazing, <laughs> picture-perfect content. Before you do wrap it up here, I do want to remind everybody, Deadlock Podcast will be going to its permanent home in March. The next couple episodes are still going to be taking place on this channel here, but we're trying to push everybody over to the Deadlock uh, Podcast channel. The link is in the description below, so make sure you guys go out there, subscribe to that channel, as well as follow those social media accounts. And not to mention, if you guys are subscribed to that channel, you've gotten a couple notifications, because me and Clint have gone live to do a couple quick hot takes on uh, uh, some big news that's dropped. We did the Kobe Covington and Jorge Masvidal one where we went for about 10 to 15 minutes talking about that, as well as Alexander Volkanovsky against Chan Sung Jung. We did a couple hot takes and quick uh, spots for you guys there. So we plan on doing more of those on the Deadlock uh, podcast stream so make, or channel, so make sure you guys uh, subscribe over there and get those notifications whenever we go live. That'll about do it, folks. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight for episode two of the Deadlock Podcast. Who is going to win Francis Ngannou or Cyril Ghosn? Who is going to win the Deadlock Duel? And who will be forced to take shots on camera for your enjoyment? Who is going to have to apologize for their actions as a Gemini? Tune in next time on Dragon Ball Z.